Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're hanging out with Anthony, the member of the band Papadozio, and he also has his own solo music project called Earthcry. He founded the Ableton Live educational platform called Seed to Stage and has played major venues and festivals, including Red Rocks Amphitheater, Bonnaroo, Electric Forest, the list goes on and on. We have a great conversation today about live looping. We talk about how to conceptualize and create a more engaging live performance. Talk about how he puts some secret samples and hidden messages in his music for fun. Talk a lot about live performance amongst many other things and hacks and tools in the studio. Make sure you give Anthony a like, follow on the socials, and also check out his YouTube channel, Seed to Stage. It's really dope, as well as his website. Before we jump into the episode, I'd appreciate it if all of you out there would give a like or subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to the podcast, whether it's Apple Music or Spotify. If you don't hate me or the podcast, if you leave a review, that would really help me out as well on Spotify specifically. And if you want to be the first to get new episodes and other fun random content I'll be sending out in the newsletter, then come hang out with me and join the newsletter. Just go to liveproducersonline.com slash newsletter. You can join there and there's some more details and I'll send you cool stuff. Check back on Tuesdays, typically every two weeks for new episodes. Much love for listening to the podcast. I appreciate all of the support and let's check out this episode with Anthony. Nice setup in the background. What kind of panels are those? Oh, uh, these are, uh, they're like the faced wood, but they're absorber panels that happen to have like kind of like a, I don't know, I think they like laser cut them or something um, so that they not only absorb, but also reflect back. So they kind of like absorb like lower, lower mid range and then reflect back some of the top end makes the room sound bigger, I guess. I don't think I believe that they do as much as they say that they do. Um, but uh, yeah, as absorbers, they're pretty good. Yeah, I have a friend who literally just saved like egg cartons for like three years and just <laughs> did all of his own DIY acoustic paneling. And it sounds fantastic. <laughs> like, it really does. Yeah. yeah, I'm presently building a studio, like an actual purpose built studio in the basement of this house the basement is like a it's like a clear span um crawl space had a bunch of piers so we were down there like supporting the house literally on like scaffolding and knocking piers out and like uh doing all kinds of stuff we brought a bunch of steel in and the entire house is now sitting on steel beams um so i can have uh an 11 foot tall 20 foot deep and 15 foot wide uh space to turn into an actual for for the first time in my life a purpose-built studio which is like cool so exciting oh. yeah man that's awesome i've been seeing more advertisements for whatever reason i'm getting targeted now for tiny homes oh but, great but i've seen like a couple like tiktok and instagram reels of people you buying these like fifty thousand dollar tiny homes and just turning them into studios in their backyard <laughs> that's like a real thing a lot of people are starting to do now i guess yeah that's awesome which I know a couple of people on the other side of that trying to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that too. I don't know. The studio space struggle can be real depending on where you live. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for hanging out on the podcast. Love to get to know you a little bit better. I've followed Papadozio for a while now. Um, I used to live in Indianapolis and you guys toured through there a few times. I haven't had a chance to see your Earth Cry project live, but... Hopefully you come back to Denver sometime in the near future. I can catch a show. Yeah, we're actually, um, oh, great. I don't know what date it is. 
Um, but we, I'm actually coming back to do a pre-party for Sonic Bloom. Oh, dope. Yeah, I was going to go to that. So I'm sure it's on this old, this old link tree situation here. Yeah, it's on the 29th of April at Cervantes. I'm playing there. Oh, sweet. Um, so that's happening. And then obviously uh, Sonic Bloom as well. Um, that's going down. That should be fun. Yeah, Cervantes is fun. I like the diversity <laughs> that they have at that venue. Some of my favorite venues like literally have all kinds of acts, like Jam Bandy or like some bassy Wook Night. Cervantes, they, they play it all, which it's a fun venue. It's a good It seems vibe. like those worlds are kind of like blending together. They, they slowly are. This is, is true. Fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. Like for people who don't know much about you and for myself too, uh, maybe share a little bit of your musical background and journey. We've got a lot of things we could talk about and eventually maybe how that got you into Ableton Live. For sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm in the, the band Papadocio. We've been touring around for, uh, what is it now? It's 16 years, something like that. It's been a while. And yeah. <laughs> I actually discovered Ableton Live at the same time that I decided to limit my costs in life. And I was living in a photo develop, development room in the basement of this like super ancient old house in Athens, Ohio, with just a PC. And I think the cubic space in that room was like under 100. It was tiny. It was this tiny little like closet of a room. But all I had was me, a sleeping mat, uh, a sleeping bag, a pillow, and a PC with uh, live five on it. That's all you and, need. Uh, <laughs> and a, and Elisa's Micron. Yeah. made it, made the first, uh, Papadocio album down there. Um, using all Ableton live. And, and what's really funny about it is that we never stopped using Ableton live to make our albums. So we've been making the music, you know, like the sketchboard using like session view or whatever, and then the arrangement. And then we just recorded the drums into it and, you know, recently, of course, we've been going to studios and, you know, doing a Pro Tools session and then exporting the waves. But still, at the end of the day, the music ends up getting uh, mixed down in Ableton Live, which I think is pretty, pretty funny. And, and kind of it's just it's just how it ended up happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, so, I mean, you, you could think of like our whole musical journey thus far as sort of like a like a little love letter to this little cute piece of software that has allowed us to kind of do a bunch of the things that we've been trying to do. Um, so yeah, um, on stage, we improvise about 30% of the show, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending upon what's happening. But a lot of that improvisation is BPM oriented. So um, you could think of the music as sort of like dance music um, that has like a, you know, uh, elements of using the, the available technology um, to kind of create like a compelling, interesting thing where you have a band, but you also have all kinds of like edits such as like, you know, for example, like a, a filter sequence over top of a guitar or something like that, or the drummer has a drum pad and he's playing um, a, a drum rack with it, things like that. Um, so yeah, uh, musical background in terms of like anything educational, I did not go to college. I have actually been offered, I apologize about my son. He's, oh, no. what he's doing. <laughs> Dad life. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was even, I've even been offered multiple jobs at colleges to teach, but I never went to college myself. And it's been funny cause that's been the biggest barrier to entry there. Most colleges don't want to hire you if you don't have a um, master's at least. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny. It's like, it's I was even offered a Riverside. I was offered a, a position. I wasn't actually offered the position, but the position came up. It was a tenured position, um, in their music department at Riverside, you see, and they, 
yeah, they didn't know that I didn't go to college. So <laughs> that was like the end of the conversation. So it's funny that, um, that's how that happened. And I'm also not Ableton certified either. Um, which not is yet. funny because maybe someday, Oh, I've been, I've been barking up that tree for years. They, they essentially, every time they did it, a U.S. event for your listeners who aren't aware, um, if you want to become a certified trainer, you have to go to one of their in-person events. And every time they had an in-person event, we were on tour. Like I had, there was no way I could have made that happen. And yeah. But did you go through the interview process at the beginning or you just didn't even try? Cause you knew I didn't even try. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't register. Like, yeah. you know, a band, yeah. as you know, we, we were six months, eight months, sometimes a year out with our scheduling. So I just knew it wasn't possible. Yeah. I've written them so many times and hopefully if I keep talking about it on all these podcasts, eventually they'll, they'll wisen up. And yeah, bro. I think honestly, <laughs> you would be a, a quality qualified candidate to be able to be a certified trainer. I mean, you've got, I don't even know how many hours of YouTube content that has a really good following. And I mean, the, one of the number one things they're looking for in certified trainers is somebody who's passionate about teaching and you definitely have done that. So yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens. I don't know if I keep if I keep bothering them. I feel like eventually they'll have to right. They'll have to react to me. Just keep blowing <laughs> them up. Yeah. So more recently, um, yeah, I have a side project, Earthcry, and then I have um, this YouTube channel, Seed to Stage, which is yeah. yeah, pretty much dedicated to Ableton Live. And you know, among other things, I'm just trying to create an environment where people can learn how to do like what the band is doing on stage. Which you know, I I feel like in general we're kind of entering a interesting space where right when these technologies were coming out and they were starting to become really salient, like uh, mid two thousands, um, almost every act you'd see was using this technology with MIDI controllers. You saw MIDI controllers all over the stage. I remember seeing a Prefuse 73 set and everything was on this table. Mm. And this, this, this guy was just trying to like figure it all out. There was just stuff connected to stuff. Yeah. And it was so compelling. And, you know, I, I, I absolutely understand and appreciate the need for people to dance and congregate. And it's wonderful. And I'm glad that there's DJs in the world. But it's starting to get to the degree where there's nothing left for the folks who are doing anything on stage. And I think mm -hmm. it's not because of any other reason than there's a really big lack of um, educational content for how to do that in a way that is um, not scary mm -hmm. and not uh, so that you get on stage and it sounds boring or it sounds less exciting than, you know, a mix that somebody sat in their bedroom and worked on for 40 hours, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I think it's twofold. Like in my, in my opinion, I see that people either like there's the lack of education, like you said, for sure. But I also think there's a laziness of people who just want to <laughs> play on CDJs. Like for real, I know of a handful of people that could use Ableton, like they know how to do it. They just don't want to, because it takes more effort. Yeah. And I, I think that also there isn't, so I'm a, big time beardy man fan. And I don't know if you've ever seen his thing before, but he uses Ableton no. to create what sounds like finished music. Um, but he does it all with his mouth, records his mouth into buffer loopers and sends them through millions Sick. of effects. It's the coolest thing. If you haven't ever watched his performances before, he stands starkly in the face of the idea that you can't do it live and do it. I mean, he's on a degree of I'm pretty sure that guy is maybe one of the most creative people I've ever had the pleasure of talking to. But I, wow. I think that essentially we're, we're, we're kind of at a, in a situation just in general in the world where 
everything has been black boxed. So people don't necessarily understand how things work. They just use the end product. So your cell phone or your, your, even your DAW, you know what I mean? And when Ableton first came out, the idea was it was a software dedicated to enabling ideas for performance, right? And then over time, the user base has kind of pushed it toward, you know, can this software support this wild idea that I have musically, but but not necessarily on stage? Can it do this interesting granular thing that's going to take a lot of processing latency just to make the idea happen? And and so the user base sort of informs the company as as to how they should react. And it's I, again, I don't think it's anyone's fault. And I think that yeah, there is potentially a degree of laziness. But I think at the end of the day, there's a general unawareness of the way that you might set up something to be able to record something instantly, to be able to have scenes that change every aspect of what people are listening to, uh, to, to take the audio and to um, manipulate it in ways where when it comes out the output, it's been properly um, gain staged and clipped so that um, by the time you're playing in front of people, you're still at like a negative you know, seven or eight LUFS level so that it still sounds as loud as these performers. Like there's a lot of mm-hmm. things that um, are difficult to do without a fair amount of education. And at the end of the day, also, if you're not doing something deliberate where people are actually seeing you, like Beardy Man is, t- is singing and talking into a microphone or a band is playing guitars and pianos and drum sets. So it's very easy to see that yeah. deliberate act. If you can't connect with the music or the, the artist and what the artist is doing, it's going to be boring. So you might as well play CDJs. But yeah. if you can see them do something deliberate, that's when you have, you know, you've made a compelling show. So yeah, I mean, long story short, I'm just trying to eventually kind of, you know, take this space and this crazy following that somehow this channel got and like um, work on the angle of trying to get a small, hopefully powerful user base of people ready to perform live and do it live and mm-hmm. and kind of take take a little bit of that stage pie back, you know? Yeah, there's some people out there I feel like that are like really on the forefront of that space too. If you're familiar with like Laura Escaday and her transmute mm-hmm. program, she does yeah, a lot yeah. of that. She's been on the podcast a few times. And I think we're starting to see maybe some more people who are getting more creative and not just settling for like the status quo of like just being a space bar button and hitting play and then like jumping around on stage. <laughs> like I think, especially for a lot of uh, I think there's more instrumentalists now who like true are true instrumentalists grew up as like guitar players or vocalists or whatever that are starting to recognize like what you were saying of bringing more of that live element to and it brings more energy to the stage too when you can actually see like oh this person's actually doing something i could hear it totally adds more energy to the show for sure and i think people definitely resonate with that and a lot of djs i think we re- have to rely on the production value of what's going on on stage a lot of times because they don't have that live component. So I don't know if you could do both. I think it's really Oh yeah, cool. that's the really that's dope. the ticket. Yeah, I mean yeah. like if you can perform and then you can have a good time. I think one of the hardest things to do is to perform in a way where you're making compelling things happen constantly but still being able to engage with the crowd. You know, it's it's a really hard equation. It's not simple at all and I think that there are ways to make it simpler, but yeah, that's that's a really good point. It's not easy to just simply make compelling things, but you know, that's, that all comes down to setting the thing up, right? Like I think a lot of people that go to concerts don't also realize that it's a very common thing to have a computer that's off stage running Ableton live. And there's a guy launching scenes in Ableton live that are controlling various aspects of the show, whether those are audible aspects or those are 
automation aspects for the visual show um, because Ableton's such an able, <laughs> pun intended, MIDI sequencer and OSC sequencer, if you use it that way, you can make it do all kinds of things. Like you can automate, you know, really big bands that have like crazy complex setups. You can automate their um, their presets in their world. Uh, this is a, a super common thing. I have a couple friends that have gone on tours where they have used Ableton offstage to simply change lighting setups and mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So it's the technology is being used, but not so much by the people that are actually on the stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's very true. That's true. Like I know several artists who run redundant rigs, but the redundancy is actually just for the lighting and like CC value changes and control changes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, not even really affecting much of the music. So it could definitely be used for a lot of applications. Have you played with the connection kit pack? Yeah. That yeah. Thing is, that thing's awesome for all kinds of use cases for automating shows. For your listeners who are trying to get visual MIDI feedback from Ableton's Looper, this has been a problem, I think, since the very inception of that device. Like I really, I use it a lot. I loop my guitar with the band and in EarthCry, I'm using it to do buffer looping and stuff, but um, you can't get it to report over MIDI its state. Um, the only way to do that is to use the connection kit with OSC send. And you essentially, um, the state of Looper is actually output but it's output as a float. So it's either record, stop, play, or overdub. And it'll actually report that. Um, so you can report it over OSC. And if you're using like touch OSC or something like that, it will actually um, show up. So you could use cool. the connection kit to go to an OSC device of some kind. And that OSC device could spit out CCs and you could send that back to your MIDI controller. Um, oh, I'm sure, I never thought I'm sure of people that, that are actually. super deep into that, like they get it, but it's kind of hard to explain to somebody yeah. who doesn't necessarily use that stuff. That's interesting. I actually, I don't really use the looper that often. I've kind of resorted to cliff X, which mm-hmm. is a whole different black hole that oh, yeah, honestly might not be deep. necessary for most people, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Have you ever played with the cliff X for live? Oh, I'm stuff? a cliff X power user. Yeah. I definitely, yeah, yeah. um, use it a lot. I also have lots of trouble with it because there's, if you've messed, have you messed with the scene capture? A little bit, not much. My problem with it is that it's like everything I've ever wanted. It's like the ability to capture the state of the entire Ableton set or a track or a device and then have another state, capture that, and then use that ramp feature where you you type like ramp in capital letters, then you you type in the milliseconds, and then you can make it morph from one state to another. Mm. Super useful, but the problem is, is that if you want it to happen on a dime, if it needs to change like over 10 parameters, it'll never hit on the downbeat. So it... There are things about CliffX that aren't snappy enough for mm. what you want it to do. And um, for for BPM ramping, love it. Use it all day. If you want to go from like, you know, we have a song in the band that goes from 75 to 90 beats per minute over the course of like eight bars. Um, we kind of like do like this, like speed up. And I used to have to <laughs> jump on this uh, BPM increment pedal button. I'd just be like leprechaun jumping to, you know, get the band to go faster. You know what I mean? Because the click track would be in the drummer's ear. Yeah. And now CliffX does that for me. So um, nice. things like that is great for. Yeah, there was a, I ran into that problem a while ago as far as like changing from scene to scene and having like slow BPM automation of the tempo. There's actually mm. a Max for Live device that somebody made called Tempo 2. And it does that really well. Uh, cool. You just drop it. Yeah, you just drop it on anything. You don't have to worry about CliffX and it. You can just automate it in a, in a dummy MIDI clip or something. It works really well. 
Yeah, all, all all the Max for Life stuff makes me feel like a dummy because like I like I I I know that I should probably take a dive down that rabbit hole, but everyone I talk to says Max for Life, man, it's like they could have designed it in such a better way, blah blah blah. They say that API like to try to find out things is so cryptic and there's only video to look for certain things and it, it's like I know that that's probably something that I should do, but I thus far have only like ter- I have like a very small tertiary understanding of max for live and like how to use like node and like all that stuff like i I just don't code it's not dude i learned the absolute minimum of max for live to pass the ableton certification (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't know anything about max for live really but i'd much rather rely on somebody else to make the tools i need than go down a black hole of spending you know weeks and years of like learning how to build my own stuff from scratch i'd rather just outsource it to somebody else who wants to do that for me (laughs) yeah spend my time in other ways well there comes a point where you you are setting up a performance or you're who knows what you're trying to engineer some sort of in-studio solution and at some point you have to ask yourself am i an engineer or am i a musician and you have Mm -hmm. to you know try to figure out how best to stay in your lane yeah, and I I have a I think I have a lot of trouble with that because when I discover a rabbit hole that's compelling, I I get real stuck into it, and then you know weeks will go by, and I'm like, man, like what was the point of any of this? Like I've figured it out, sure, but like I yeah. could have been working on music or something. And having a lot of stress and questioning the meaning of life at 3 a.m. <laughs> like after four weeks of troubleshooting. Well, things have changed definitely now because it's like I used to have four hours to edit my kick drum or whatever. Now I have four minutes because I'm a dad. So yeah. I have uh, legitimately, yeah. and honestly, it hasn't slowed down my my output. So those of you who are worried about all that, instead, you just, you start to prioritize things and you start to, I don't know, like I, I feel like the, things don't sound different. They sound just, I'm just less obsessive about everything now. I'm just kind of like, all right, this is the time yeah. that I've allotted to do this task. I'm going to do this task right now. And there we go. <laughs> honestly, that's a beautiful thing though. I think you have to have that mindset at some point. Otherwise, you just get stuck in a feedback loop of just working on the same thing over and over. And then I think a lot of like newer producers don't finish enough tracks because they give themselves too much time or they don't set deadlines. Or they get stuck into some super technical something that just yeah. means nothing and no one will know that they did it. Exactly. Some some field recording they had to have that they had to travel to get and <laughs> all right. that stuff. No, that's that's very true. Yeah. Do you ever use like weird fun samples or like Foley in your tracks these days? Oh, all the time. It's like a, it's every track has to have some sort of like audio in it that is related to the theme of the song. It's just a, it's a superstition for sure. But it's like it's like uh, I just really enjoy doing that. Um, yeah. If the song is dedicated to something, uh, there's a lot of l- little whisper tracks and secret tracks. And, I, you know, I, I came up listening to like Nine Inch Nails and stuff like that. And that was like a big uh a big awesome. part of Trent Reznor's music is to 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 put those kinds of sounds, special secret sounds, in the music. And if you, you know, if you if you phase the left and right speaker, you can all of a sudden those will pop out. You know, I, I used to enjoy the crap out of that. Like I, there was a way I figured out how to use my. Um, I had a Sony old uh, boombox, and you could you could set it up so that if you push the play button down halfway, the 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 tape read head would like read both sides at the same time, and it would invert the phase, and I would be able to hear all kinds of things that were wrong. And then I could hear like everything that was in the hyper stereo would come would come to the center and you could hear all these like secret whisper tracks and stuff. And you're like, whoa, what is that? Like, uh, you know, then you get on early Internet forums and talk about it. And so people are like they're sacrificing goats in their music. It's evil. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's some weird conspiracies going on about like old like metal bands doing that kind of stuff and backmasking. I remember that. Yeah, we put an Easter egg in our last um our last album. If you play it, it was on vinyl. If you played it in reverse, it gives you like a secret code that you can put somewhere that I, I only a couple of people have figured it out thus far, so I don't want to like give it away oh, that's here. Wild. But, uh, that's yeah, cool. If you played the vinyl backwards, it would give you a secret cipher that you'd have to figure out uh, a code and you can use that code to access extra stuff. But That's we, amazing. We, we just, you know, it's fun stuff to do. And uh, yeah. it's, it's always been like a, it's such a waste of time, but you know, at the end of the day, like if you're looking at things from a utilitarian standpoint, it's a waste of time, but you know, it's art. So like have fun with it. Why not? Exactly. Yeah. It's something to talk about. Maybe the one or two or three fans that actually figure it out or find it out are probably just going to love you that much more anyway. So yeah, I have this like really funny idea. I want to like, uh, I live in Asheville, so there the Smoky Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains are just you know I'm, I can look out my window and see them, and I, cool. I have this idea of uh, releasing an album, but you have to find it, like you legitimately like have to. We're gonna like maybe like we'll make like the lyrics to the song sort of like um, clues, and then like uh, I was thinking about like having like a thumb drive for each the, each of the different tracks, and you have to literally find it, and if you do find it, you get to own the track, so you get to like collect the royalties from it or whatever so it's like incentivized interesting Uh, i think i think that'd be really fun to do we've been we've been talking about doing this for years but yeah that's cool man there's a lot of people doing that and digitalizing their music in crypto like i don't know if that's something you'd be interested in or like having it as an nft release that like somebody Mm -hmm. can own actually own the rights or whatever to it or find it in the cyberspace um flostradamus did something like that i talked to him about i didn't fully understand exactly what he did in that world but (laughs) But he's a smart dude. It was really cool. It was like, it's amazing. He had a vape pen actually that had a code on it. And when multiple people logged into the same place with the NFT that was on the actual vape, then they could access like certain special bonus content and stuff from him or whatever. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many different ways you could uh you could you could put music out these days. And it's like uh this whole idea was like like kind of like an in stark contrast to all the digital technologies this was more like all right now you have to you have to literally like get an excursion together get like a backpacking rig and a tent and like get miles into the woods if you want to find this you know and like you know it would have to be like you know b-sides it couldn't be like our like you know top material because at the end of the day we can't afford not to release that to the general public but like it'd be really fun to put out some like really interesting like weirder tracks in the middle of the woods or something yeah yeah you totally could that'd be pretty sweet (laughs) um put like a tracking code on it or something make people go hunting (laughs) be fun you talked a little bit about like you're you're like trying to to really move people into the the creative realm of how do you set up your live shows outside of just like hitting play doing the regular stuff and pushing that boundary so for you with earth cry or papadozio has like your live setup and thinking about the technical ways you perform your music changed the way that you're writing the music yeah, because it's always a conversation of, yeah, we could do that, but can we do it live? Yeah, we yeah. could do that, but can we do it live? It's usually, yeah, we can do that and we're going to figure out how to do it live. And that's it takes a, a, a good amount of time sometimes to figure out how to make a certain thing happen live. But with CliffX and a couple other you know tools, you can pretty much do anything. And like it, it's just a matter of whether you want to go that ham. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And, uh, I have been recently using um, more program change in Ableton than I used to. And there are, like recently, I don't know if you ever used Infiltrator. Mm -mm. 
Devious Machines Infiltrator is kind of like Tornado. It's a multi-effect. Oh, okay. um, and it takes program change. And this is probably insignificant to a lot of people. But if you are doing effect processing and you need a extremely different effect than the last one you just had five seconds ago, uh, this is probably the the ticket um, because you can do you can do there's like it, it's it's like a multi effect so you have like you know every filter style you could think of comb filtering um, you know uh, multi band compression like like OTT uh, and um, spectral stuff it's just got pretty much every effect you could think of and you can call up different effects on a dime by sending a program change so mm. you know. Uh, that is enabling us to do more than we've ever been able to do before. That one change that the developer decided to implement program change really, really, uh, you know, if you, so like, imagine if you, um, if you're a guitar player with a pedal board at this point, I'm starting to be convinced that I may go full digital with my guitar effects. Cause I'm already digital. I'm, I'm using a fractal guitar mm, pedal, nice. which is a modeler and they do a really good job. But yeah. I got to say that I've been using um, guitar modelers on the computer and Ableton's guitar modeling is great, but it's it's pretty dated and it could be a little bit better. And the best one that I found is the um, UAD's uh, Fuchs Overdrive 50 um, okay. amp. And I, I just can't believe how good it sounds. It, it's it's frustrating how good it sounds because you could you could mic up an amp and not get as good of tones as this thing and it's amazing and so i've been thinking it'd be really funny to get a like a mac mini there's the, the lowest level mac mini you can get and get a tiny display and yeah. get a little soft step and have that be my guitar rig because i could Brilliant, just use dude. the soft step uh to to switch between infiltrator uh effects going into uh the fuchs uad uh totally. amp and there you go boom it would be a lot smaller than my 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 uh fractal setup is huge it's like big and heavy and you know Ain't nobody got time to carry all that for every show. Like, I've just, that's been my struggle too, is like a one man band is like, do I need to carry my full electronic set and my guitar and an UI and my microphone, uh, my push and my APC 40 and like the list just keeps going. And I'm like, dude, it's too much. Like trying to like simplify before I start going out and playing more shows again, that could be a real struggle too. It's like yeah. streamlining and really kind of figuring out, okay, how do I get away with less while still, you know, pulling off a great show? I'm telling you, man, like if you haven't checked out uh, Touch OSC or Lemur on yeah. iPad, yeah, you can stack the, 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 I mean, these iPads are this thin. You can yeah. have so much control in the smallest footprint. Yeah. It's nuts. And yeah. ever since I kind of discovered that I am slowly but surely gra gradually moving all of my control over to to specifically touch osc because it's so programmable it's so easy mm. and you can label everything i mean that's the other thing like a lot of these midi controllers don't have labels and the, what they do can change and on touch osc if you want something to change you can actually use local messages if a control changes it will change dynamically mm. with what you're doing and Another thing is that you can touch a control and it does a thing called grab. So your finger can be all the way over here and you're still controlling that same thing because you're wiggling your finger over here. It, it grabs it so you can't touch other things. A lot of people look at these setups and they think, oh, that's too fiddly. I wouldn't be able to get to the parameter I'm trying to change, but it's because of grab. I mean, yeah. I can't believe how much control you can pack into to nothing. So that's 
that's actually a big part. That's a big module in my uh, Ableton Live course for dedicated to live performance and looping is cool. a whole chapter on Touch OSC because I'm I'm so convinced that it's the future of control. Yeah, Touch OSC is is amazing. Um, we could do a lot of things. I had a good conversation. Went pretty nerdy with Jules Jensen not too long ago. He's like an absolute wizard when it comes to Touch OSC and CliffX. Um, yeah, so he's taught me a lot about that world. And that's probably even still more than a lot of people need, but it's amazing to have that option if you want more control and flexibility, for sure. Yeah, and if you don't want to travel with a bunch of stuff, I mean, at the end of the day, like I can, yeah. my Earth Christ set it comprises of, uh, it's not sitting here, is it? No, it's not. I have a UC4. It's like that little fader fox UC4. It's like this big, eight little sliders and the the knobs and stuff and then just an ipad and that's it and i i'm doing full-on buffer capture of my stems so i can you know do looping of the different uh so i have like a drum track a bass track a melodic track and then um special effects and vocals and so those those are the four stems i'm working with and i can capture any amount of buffer length of any of those and then loop them and the amount of like real estate it takes versus the amount of sound and the different things that i can make happen with that tiny little setup that fits in a backpack is crazy. Um, yeah. And so you don't need to travel with, I, I guess that's another thing. Cause I mean, a lot of it's crazy, man. We'll, we'll get to an airport and you know, we're friends with a lot of the producers that play these festivals and they'll come up to us. This has happened a lot. They'll come up and they'll be like, wow, you guys got a lot of stuff. And like, yeah, it costs about 700 bucks to check all this, you know? And meanwhile, they're like, they're like, they look at, they like nod at that. And they're like, yeah, that's hard, huh? And, they, and they're like, all my stuff fits on this thumb drive. And they put it in their backpack and they go on their merry way. And it's yeah. like, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's pretty funny. But I mean, like, it's starting to change, though. Like, and these control apps are just crazy. And then Loopy Pro is almost going to come out with their their VST uh, implementation of Loopy Pro, the, the, the iPad app. And that's going to change the world. That is going, that single thing is going to change live looping forever. And I can't wait for that. Yeah, I, I've heard of Loopy, but like I, I don't know a ton about it. So, what would make it a lot different or change the world? So, Loopy Pro solves a lot of the looping issues that a lot of people have. So, right now, if you want to loop something, most loopers require you to hit record and then to close the loop by hitting play or mm-hmm. overdub or whatever the button is to close the loop. Um, there's a thing called. Uh, retrospective, I think is the word you would use for looping, where instead of pushing record ever, it's always recording. So um, Beardy Man uses uh, this software called um, Augustus Loop, and it's a buffer. It's just a delay, okay? So the delay is playing, but you don't know that it's playing until you close the loop. And when you close the loop, you actually choose what the timing division is that you want. I want the last two bars of what I just played. I want the last eighth of a bar. I want the last four bars that I just played. And so there's only one action. That's huge because if you're on stage, there's a lot of pressure to, okay, this is it. Here it comes. I'm going to hit that record button. And then there's a lot of pressure like, okay, I got to hit the the play button right at the right time. That's really hard to do. What's easier to do is to keep playing until you're like, yep, that was the take. And then then you hit um, close the loop. Mm -hmm. And so what Loopy Pro does is it takes both of those ideas and takes them even further. So you can do that retrospective looping, but all the buffer loopers that exist right now on the market, such as Augustus Loop and these other ones, they don't have a way to do undo. They mm-hmm. don't have a way to, to, to take audio and elastic stretch it. So if you're changing the BPM, um, Ableton's looper, for example, if you change the BPM, unfortunately, what it will do is it'll pitch up or pitch down. Yeah, it's no good. Um, if you're doing clip looping, that's great, but there's no way natively to delete 
and add clips. And if you're doing scenes, then guess what? If you launch a different scene, it's you're not going to play the clips you just looped. So there's a lot of issues that um, a fully robust retrospective looper will will solve for live looping musicians, and mm. that's exactly what Loopy Pro does. But it's been it's been stuck in the iPad environment, and the Loopy Pro developer has pretty much put in every single feature that I've ever wanted in a looper. And I, the only the barrier to entry for me has been that you know I want to use Ableton effects to sculpt the audio. I want to be able to use clippers. I want to use all the things that I know to do to make the audio nice and hot and loud and sound great. And I haven't been able to use those in the you know iOS environment. So apparently there is a VST version of Loopy Pro that's imminent really? um, for release uh, for the computer musician. So. That's oh. really exciting and I can't wait. And a lot of the looper communities that I'm in on like Discord and stuff, like all we can talk about is pretty much, all right, when's Loopy Pro coming out for for you know uh interesting because that would be amazing, you know. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating. I just I'm writing notes down. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, you know, it really, if anything, just download Loopy Pro for iOS and just check it out. You don't you can just get a demo, you don't have to buy it or anything, and you'll see what I mean. Just the visual feedback of being able to see a loop in a it's it's a waveform but it's represented in a circle um i think once a musician sees that then you're like oh this is how it always should have been done i don't know why no one thought of doing it this way before it's like uh so for your listeners who have been loopers before and they've kind of left it because of frustrations with the interface we're entering a oh i really believe we're entering a, a new realm of looping where you're going to see a resurgence of looping artists because of the technologies. And I got to say that the new, um, 505 looper, the, you know, the, the five circles in a row, the, the hardware piece, yeah, really well implemented, really well designed. They, they understand that the biggest hurdle for live loopers is to sound high fidelity. It's difficult to do, but they have all these like, um, like the, their output stage effects are really nice. They have this thing called the natural compressor and it, you know, it, it kind of scoops out the low mids, which, which build up when you're doing looping. Um, and so they're, they're, they're forward thinking, they're thinking about how, how can we make live looping a thing where it's compelling? It still sounds good coming out of a PA. There's less feedback issues. I'm just really excited because I, I, I've recently seen some live looping performances that have just totally blown my mind. And like, once you, you give these people that have this amazing musical talent, the, the right technology, I mean, lights out, it's going to be awesome. Okay. Yeah. Dope. I need, I need to check that out. It's really interesting. Are you familiar with AbletonDrummer.com? Toby? Yeah, that guy's amazing, man. What a, what a, what a homie. I love Toby, dude. He's yeah, have you had him on the podcast? Twice, actually. Nice. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm check those out. Pretty sure twice. If not Toby and you're listening, then you're invited to come back. He's, yeah, he's the man. He actually released, um, it's a really, really simple dumbed down looper. It's called One Button live looping with ableton live it's a really long name but he uh, <laughs> he's he's the man and it's it's really simple for anybody who's like getting into looping and they've had trouble with ableton's native looper uh it's simple it's, uh, user-friendly and it just gives you like an undo play loop overdub option and um has its own pop-out window that like you can midi map and it's just like really simple and you could put it on every track that you want to live loop or do a master um, nope. and it, and it does factor in, I think some of that buffering you were talking about it, it, I played with it briefly. It's like 25 bucks for like the whole suite of live looping stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it works pretty well. He just released it probably a couple months ago. I saw that he, I got an email from him. I'm unfortunately what I'm trying to do does not involve a computer screen at all. I, I pretty much yeah. 
am moving away from looking at Ableton at all because Touch OSC even allows, there's a, I wonder if he made it, <laughs> that would be really funny, but there's a, a Max for Live device that can uh, take your VU meter, turn that VU meter data into CCs, and then I'm making a fader go up and down for my different loopers and my different outputs and stuff like that so I can see where audio is in my in my set. And so sometimes, you know, if, if you need to be able to have some sort of reference to see like, all right, which looper has buffer data in it, which one doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, little Max for Live device that turns the VU meters into CCs really helps, man. It's awesome. I know what you're talking about. I, th- I saw that somewhere. I don't know who made it. I have to look that up. Yeah, my my our lighting guy Dustin videometry shout out. He uh he uses the same Max for Live device to listen to our drummer's kick drum and my guitar mm. signal and like everything else in it. He projects that uh signal into different um parameters that are affecting things in his visuals for the show. Mm. Um so that that really basic technology has allowed us to do a lot of really interesting visuals on stage too. So cool. folks who are into that realm yeah, especially folks that like use use like Ebo Suite or something. Like, there's there's a lot of really fun things that you can do when you can capture VU data or output audio data, RMS data, and spit out CCs. It's really fun. I've done a little bit of that using the connection kit, um, sending OSC and MIDI into Resolume. Ooh. That's been that's been pretty fun, and it's really simple. Anybody who wants to get into VJing, like video DJing, I mean, Resolume's really fun. It has a free trial and it's really annoying because like every 90 seconds, it's like Resolume. But other than that, (laughs) just turn off the audio, just mute Resolume's output of audio. But it's dope. And there's so many things you could do with it, especially syncing up to Ableton Live. And I like what you're saying with the Mac Mini because I'm actually thinking about getting another one because you could just plug them in together, Ethernet, and they talk. And you could have one video machine and one running Ableton. And they're mm-hmm. stupid fast, man. I have the M1, the first Mac Mini M1 that came out, and it's fantastic. They're I, like, fantastic I machines. Love this thing, dude. I love it. The, the 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 Windows users can no longer argue. Like you got to give it up. The, the I'm using a, a, a M1 Air right now, mm-hmm. and I've <laughs> I will simultaneously be editing 4K footage, filming 4K footage. And, you know, like doing like a multicam, like, you know, YouTube video yeah. all at the same time. The computer has no fan. It, it barely makes any heat at all. And, yeah. the, and I'm doing it and I realize it's not plugged in. Whoops. It's not, you know, it's like, <laughs> what? Like, That's, I can't believe yeah. how good these machines are. And the, the other thing that's that's crazy is that um, they keep making them better. And they, I guess the three nanometer chip is almost out now. Like, what? You know, like I think these are five it's nanometer crazy. chips in the M1, which is uh, what that means is that there's a, a distance between the transistors. And so that distance, the, the the farther the transistors are apart, the more heat the machine makes. And so really, when it comes to computational power, one of the biggest bottlenecks is heat. So mm. when you get the transistors closer together without shorting, you are actually reducing the heat. And because you're reducing the heat, you are allowing the machine to run faster because it doesn't need to... Uh, figure out ways to cool itself. I know that's like the a total layman's explanation, but that's Makes that's sense. what's up. So yeah. um these yeah, new three nanometer chips are gonna be crazy, man. Like the the M3 chips. I, I just read something where the new MacBook Airs that are going to be 13 and 15 inch wide are going to have the three nanometer chip in it. It's like it'll be a lightsaber, you know? <laughs> I mean yeah, crazy. Much. Yeah, it'll be able to do your laundry and take your kids to school. It's like it's a really smart, powerful computer. Yeah, and it's silent too. That's one thing that I I noticed right away is when I was pushing yeah. this computer really hard. They don't have fans. 
because I don't really overheat. So you don't have to worry about any studio noise from a computer fan, which... Oh, man, you can hear my YouTube videos from two years ago, and it's like, it's embarrassing how loud that fan is in the microphone. And then all of a sudden, it's like a, you know... Uh, turn on a dime and all of a sudden first of all i was i started doing 4k and then there was no noise and half the hang-ups and that was admittedly a macbook pro i call it the millennium falcon but it was the macbook pro from <laughs> 2012 it still works somehow it's on its fourth yeah. uh display because i you know I've, it's i i that one for some reason it burns through displays like i'll get the pink screen and then all of a sudden it doesn't work and i've had to buy like you know third-party uh displays and reconnect them and stuff but it's on its fourth one and i finally was like you know what these M1 machines, they look pretty rad. So I ended up getting the the little air. Yeah. And this little air is just I, I maxed it out. I got the the 16 gigs of RAM in it, the yeah. better GPU and the uh the bigger hard drive. But yeah, I couldn't be happier. I think if you're gonna buy any of the newer Macs, it's definitely worth maxing it out if you need that power because you can't really upgrade it later. You're just kind of stuck with what you have. Yeah, my whole plan was to make it almost the same size as the iPad Pro, and it is. So when I fold the M1 Air up and I put the two iPad Pros on it. They're like a perfect little stack that slides in a smaller backpack. It's like that was kind of the the idea behind it. But I've seen recently there's this guy, pretty popular YouTuber. I'm I'm gonna totally forget his name, but he made an M1 Mini uh, thing you could slide the M1 Mini into, and then a display thing that connects over USB C. I think it's like for a, an iPad Mini, so it, it, you can you can contain the entire thing in this 3D printed. A little like thing that slides into a backpack, so you could you could turn a Mac Mini into an into a laptop, essentially. Oh, interesting. So, pretty pretty hilarious like use case. But for somebody like me who's trying to build maybe a guitar pedal board yeah. out of something like that, totally makes sense, you know. Yeah, for sure. I know you use the Soft Step. Have you ever played with the Looptimus? What is the Looptimus? I have never I'll, even I'll heard of this you. thing. Oh, okay. A little show and tell. Yeah, this is my. F- I tested. Pretty much all of the, I've tested almost, I think, every foot controller on the market at this point in my life, including the soft steps. And (laughs) this is my favorite. It's like, it's built, I think, more for guitar players because it has kind of that feel. Yeah, tactile. Tactile touch. Mm -mm. It has 20 banks. And sick. it was made by an Ableton certified trainer um, in Chicago. And he he's like really big in the church scene and does a lot of playback for churches and mega church stuff. But he built this for like basically anybody who wanted to use their feet for Ableton. It's just a mini map. It's really, it's dummy proof, but it feels good. And it's it's not too heavy. You can plug in like an, an, you can connect them actually get multiples of them and plug in like an external foot controller too. can run mini out. It's got USB. It's got a powered hub, but it doesn't have to be powered mm-hmm. you just power usb it's nice and small yeah i for me it's like uh with with the whole idea of like saving space i i've I've made myself a road case what i've done is i've decided i can i can't take up any more space than that road case so if my my rig has to fit in it so the soft step is hard to beat when it comes to space basically more than anything else i really wish that i had the room to add the clickable i i've always appreciated the million click I don't know what the, there's there's a specific name for the jack that or the 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 press button thing that you can do a million clicks on but that you know you you'll you'll see them on like um kind of higher end guitar pedals that is my favorite pedal of all time because you know the moment that it makes contact you can push your foot on it and push it in a little bit and then you can click it down like 
that's the best tactile control for your feet. I'm, I'm convinced. But at the end of the day, I just don't have room for it. So I, it's <laughs> soft steps. It is, you know? <laughs> yeah. The thing about the soft step that made me nervous is there's a couple times where I double triggered it. Um, yeah. that mm-hmm. scared me. Cause it's yeah. just so it's so squishy. It's like almost like you're stepping on a fruit gusher or something. Yeah, <laughs> I like, I like power slam it. Like I mean, on on yeah. stage, I'm like doing like I'm like I'm like Mario power slamming it. Like I, <laughs> I I I like I'm so worried that it's not going to trigger. Like I also figured out figured something out. Like you don't want to use notes unless there's a reason for it. Like if you use mm-hmm. notes when you press the soft step, when you pick your foot back up by default, if you use a foot on command, it will send a a note off command when you pick your foot back up. I didn't realize that. I thought it would only send a foot on command, but mm-hmm. it makes sense because you wouldn't want the controller to think that you haven't sent it a note off message, especially if you're doing momentary stuff. Mm-hmm. So I realized I was like, oh crap, I got to use CCs. And for those of you out there that are using the soft step, I'm also going to be doing a soft step series. I am really scared of doing that because the support questions, I already get thousands of support questions about soft step. Um, they made a controller that I honestly think is, it's too powerful. Like I think people, there's too many options. And so like a lot of folks, they'll, they'll plug it into Ableton and it's sending pitch bend information by default when you plug it in Uh, and everyone's like, it doesn't work. And it's like, we got to put it on CCs or notes, man. You know, a lot of people don't know that very basic fact, but there's so much more to that, that poor little thing that, (laughs) you know. Yeah, there's, there's a, I really like the device. It's amazing. But again, I really wish I had room for something like that. Looptimus thing looks awesome. And Oh, yeah. Check it out. It's, it's like I said, it's dummy proof. Anybody could use it. It's so easy. Does it have expression pedal inputs? It does. Yeah. Nice. Yep. So yeah. you can hook it up to another external foot switch or an expression pedal. Is there more than one or is there just one? Because that's the soft step. I think there's uh, one for each. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because the soft step only has one input for an expression pedal, and that's a big hang up for me yep no it's got one foot switch one expression it looks nice. like and then you could also do a midi in oh cool yeah right on yeah yeah it's really dusty i need to use it more <laughs> <laughs> um dust is the great equalizer and you feel bad about buying gear and not using it yeah oh dude that's story of my life man <laughs> that's kind of how i feel right now about the uh, genki wavering have you played oh, with the wavering? oh no I've, I've i saw ads for that thing it looks fun i i, I didn't get it no. i don't use it but it's like it's a blast like when i do play with it it's like a fun party trick right if you're on stage for like one song and you want to move your hand and like have a filter wobble and people are like oh my god he's making a <laughs> wobble with his hand like that's that's fun but um, actually, I think the best use case for it is for doing triggering of like even live looping. Um, da Vinci actually made a really good YouTube video of how to use how he uses the wavering for tracking and recording in the studio for looping. Um, and like, so he, there's like three. I might be butchering this. There's three different button commands you could set at controls. He uses like one of the buttons for capture. So if he's just playing piano and messing around the studio, he's like, oh, that was a good idea. He just hits capture. But you hmm. can map it to like your looper or anything else you wanted to. So Wild. yeah. And like if you're on stage playing guitar, you know, you could put it on maybe your right hand that you're picking with. And then like when you're done, just like tap and then trigger something to loop. It might be really easy than using your feet too, or giving an addition to your feet. Yeah. I mean, getting back to that idea of being deliberate, you know, that's that's another really good use case. I saw this. I saw this guy using a Thera MIDI. What what is, what does Moog call that device? It's like a MIDI theremin. I know what you're talking about. Jules, actually, the guy, the CliffX nerd, I was telling you about uh, my homie. He was telling me he uses that in his studio for triggering. I think visuals. 
Whoa, really? Just, yeah, <laughs> this it was, guy's far out. Man. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw a show though. This guy was like, he had he had it mapped to an Ableton Echo, and was using it to do like dub delays. And he would throw his hand up, and and he had it figured out so that it was like the f- perfect like slush puppy. You know, like when someone's like, yeah, you know, he was like <laughs> slush puppying this like making these like every time his hand would go up, it would it would it would send the audio to the delay. So. You know what I mean? Like, and I was like, man, what a great idea. Like, cause I mean, like, I don't know if everyone knew that he was doing that, but those that were paying attention, even if you weren't a musician, it was such a deliberate move that you could see, oh yeah, that's like great idea, you know? So yeah, there's there's definitely good, like deliberate use cases for these technologies. Um, I, there was that Orba thing that does the little, you know, it's a little like circle thing that, you know, you can play the different notes on and you can move it like this and it does like parameters and things like that. Yeah. Um, first time I saw my lighting guy, he was using uh, two Wiimotes and one of those like Wii Fits, and he was like <laughs> going awesome. like this and like doing the visuals with like <laughs> that's sick. Yeah, I remember, I remember all that. That was like the the, the Wiimote was the first time I experienced a you know a Bluetooth thing that if you moved it, it would like do different CCs. Uh, yeah, and but there was the latency was just way it was like way too slow to you know get anything real done. Yeah, I think Matt Moldover was like one of the first people to really do that. Um, yeah. I remember seeing him do that, like probably like seven or eight years ago. That mm-hmm. was pretty wild. Um, <laughs> yeah, he hacks all kinds of game controllers and turns it into like musical instruments. I love he's that. A, he's a wild dude. <laughs> Jules, I was I was just like searching through my notes, and have you heard of Proxy MIDI? Uh, no. It's by a company called Copper and Cedar. Uh, it's like 180 bucks, but it's kind of the same idea with that Moog theremin you were talking about. Um, it's like this, like, it looks like almost like a hockey puck and you plug it in, but it's like motion tracking. So you could play with your hand moving across it with different sensors. Oh, I've seen this thing. Yeah. That looks like a lot of fun too. Yeah. It's kind of, that's kind of like the MIDI theremin too. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's pretty, oh, look how nice and small that is. It's tiny, but See, it looks fun. I'm all about it. You want to sell Anthony something, make it small. And I'm all about it. <laughs> right. Throw it in your book bag with ease. Exactly. That's exactly. the dream. Wow. That's rad, man. I, don't, I might look more into this. Yeah. It, I Honestly, I'd need to. I might hit him up and be like, you guys want to send me a free one? Like, <laughs> that'd be pretty cool. Man. See, that's just the thing, isn't it? It's like all the companies that want to send you free stuff, you're like, Ugh. you know, because you know you have to do a review for it. Yeah. And it's like, and then the companies you really wish would send you free stuff, like they'll never talk to you. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah, maybe. I guess it just depends on who it is and and how good you are at like sending that like cold email. You know what I mean? Like I, That's I, true. I like I, I want to get better at that. You know what I mean? And uh I had a really good experience uh with um Relish, the guitar company. I played nice. one of their guitars. They have this system. It's not I wish I, I wish it was here so I could show you, but you can take the pickups out by just pulling on them. Really? It's magnetic. And you can Whoa. slap another pickup in it. So let's say you're like a session guitar player. You need like a single coil for one song. Uh, you can just wow. flip the pickups. It's insane. Such That's a good amazing. idea. So I wrote the guy. I was like, you guys are nuts. Like this is the this is the the most fresh idea in 30 years of guitar technology. Like I can't even believe that this is a thing, you know? And yeah. he's like, well, who are you? And I was like, oh, oh. Uh, uh. I started sending him <laughs> pictures of the band playing Red Rocks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. We're, you know, we're, we're a really big deal, I promise. Yeah. You know? And then uh, they, they sent me an artist deal and I was like, oh my God. It was like, so I had like, I had that amazing. one like amazing experience. And uh, that's so you know, cool. Shout out Relish though. They really are. Uh, it's like a Swiss guitar company. They make a aluminum frame for the guitar that has like wood facings. 
pretty pretty high end instruments, but at the end of the day, like they can sound like any guitar. So like if you're like one of those people that has like 50 guitars in your house, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, you could get a lot more done with a lot less by having yeah. like a guitar that can just literally by by magnets. It's just magnets. Like the even the back of the guitar comes off with magnets. Amazing. Um, it's such a good idea. So uh, you couldn't you couldn't necessarily use and like I'm completely ignorant when it comes to the guitar world, but could you use other guitar pickups? Like, could you remove that from another guitar and put it on this? Yeah, you have a little mount. So the mount okay. has has physical wiring that you solder. Um, but once you've you've mounted the pickup to the little brackets that they have, the brackets they like it's the, it's the most satisfying thing ever. Too it goes shlink, <laughs> and it's like yeah, like nice. And it feels like you're like loading like a rifle or something. You're like yeah, like that's all ready to go. I love it. That's pretty cool. But yeah, so I have, I have a success, I mean, long story short, I have a success story, like uh, cold, cold reaching out, cold emailing a company. Love um, that for you. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I'll take all the free stuff. That's fun to play with. Please. <laughs> yeah. Please. And thank you. Yeah. I've yeah. done that for this podcast too. I've reached out to certain companies and been like, Hey, do you want to send me some free stuff? I'll talk about it. And they're like, sure. So I'm still yeah. working on UAD. I still want their free plugins, but they're hard. They're, it's a hard sell. UAD man, what a what a like away for free. what a difficult platform. Like I have, I have an eight P. I saved for so long to get it. Like it was like you know, it's like the dream, you know, to have this thing and to offload some processing, especially because I got it when I was still using the old Millennium Falcon, and uh, it just allowed me to do a lot more, you know, and uh, yeah. uh, processing wise. But now they're rolling out. Did you see this? They're rolling out um, native uh, instead of doing. Uh, you have to have the hardware. They're now rolling out their plugins oh, yeah. as like uh, native plugins, which is yeah. They call it their Spark plugin bundle. I Actually, believe. they're they're releasing the 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 plugins themselves. It's not just so yeah. Spark is a thing. That's like a it's like a I think it's a subscription. Yeah, uh, is what Spark is. But they actually are selling now their plugins because I think really? that what they're realizing is that they can't keep up with. I mean, think about the, think about the market. Like, think about how many folks are using just a Scarlet, right? True. And they they'll, they'll never be able to use like the eleven seventy six or you know they'll never be able to use these really nice mm -hmm. uh, pieces of hardware uh, emulations true. if you will. So you know I I think they sort of wisened up. They realized okay you know our user base could be a lot bigger. Oh totally mm -hmm. man you're right you're absolutely right. The analog modeling world of plugins is like exploding and there's so many players in the game now. They yeah I think it's a good move for them to move away from having to own their interfaces or buying an accelerator to run plugins. It seems yeah. to be like a kind of a, like a, not a mass exodus, but instead like a, a, an infiltration of like what used to be only available analog is now like a digital thing. Like, I don't know if you ever messed with VCV rack, yeah, but oh my so God, cool. if you never do it's yeah, it's free. It's, awesome. it's not free as a plugin, but it's free um, to use, you know, standalone. standalone. Yeah. You're and right. you're you can right. get a lot done standalone. I mean, it, you know, you could route it actually. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's just, I think what's nice about using VCV rack is that the story with modular is that, and I think that any user will tell you this is that like, it's really hard to convert a modular patch into a song. And so at the end of the day, VCV mm -hmm. rack is like slowly but surely convincing me that my hardware modular is just useless because the amount of time that I spend building up a patch on it, I can just build it in VCV rack. And the only thing that I'm really missing is uh, really, uh, to be honest, the only thing I'm really missing is I love the Make Noise DPO uh, oscillator. Uh, nothing digital can make that sound. I'm convinced. It's just something about mm. it that's just really, really nice. Um, and then distortions. Like, you know, 
Yeah. In order to get distortions that sound as clean as they will sound, or not clean, but as in like low aliasing, especially when you're really going ham on like a fuzz, mm. you got to have an analog distortion. So, I mean, outside of that though, a lot of the things I do with modular have to do with granular stuff and have to do with things that you absolutely can do digitally. And a lot of times better and faster if you save the patch inside of like a larger Ableton set. So I really, really got to say that like VCV rack has really changed the technology game. And today I was using it to do MIDI stuff. I wasn't sending any audio out of it. I was just using a trigger sequencer going into a thing. There's a module in there that's like a shaper. So it's kind of like LFO tool, but Mm. I was sending triggers into shaper and they were spitting out different envelopes and I was routing those envelopes into CCs and those CCs were controlling things in my Ableton set. And I sort of realized, I was like, wow, you could, you could legitimately create any custom control interface with this as well yeah. as being able to do really rad audio stuff. So, I mean, if any of your listeners are modular curious, before you spend all that money, just look at VCV Rack, man, because it really can get you 99% of the way there. Oh, yeah. And it's great for people who are just still like even beginners trying to learn more about sound design. No, I think that's yeah. an awesome starting point for people who are like maybe scared of the modular world or like only been producing a couple of years and they want to go deeper. It's a great way to learn. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a great way also to learn that it might not be for you. You know, I mean, it's yeah, modular is a expensive time consuming. <laughs> it's expensive and it's a time really even more than it is expensive it can distract you so much that you don't put music out. And I've seen yeah. this happen a lot. And I actually put out a bunch of Earthcry albums that were modular patches, or at least that was the beginning of them. But I knew right away that I, I had got one of those DB25 connectors. So like I could, I could send uh, audio signal into that RME interface that I used to have. And I had multi-channel audio coming out of the modular. And that's really hard to do if you don't set that up. And if you don't set that up right away, you know, once you unplug the damn thing, like you've lost your patch, it's gone. It's gone forever. Mm. There's no save yeah. button. Yeah. And so it really is easy to go down that rabbit hole and never put music out. Totally. So you got to be real careful in that, <laughs> in that world. I honestly, I know there's ways around it in the hardware world or domain, but like, I, I think that's one reason why I haven't invested more money into the modular world, because I want to be able to save patches and stuff and recall it later. And if the knob position is there, it's, it's going to always be there. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Big time, yeah. That's one thing I love about my Moog Sub 37 is it's it's like the best of both worlds because you can always recall the banks and presets based on the positions of the knobs. Yeah, and yeah, you can, yeah, and and it's just that giant, giant analog oscillator sound that is just so hard to get and there's a little bit of instability to it and because of that tiny little bit of instability, you love it. There's 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 something you can't put your finger on. There's also that... um, Dreadbox uh, Typhon thing that they put out, another really good solution, kind of the same, really really okay. wonderful device. If check you've ever out. check check that out, but yeah, both okay. of those are kind of the same idea where you have two oscillators that are comprising of a mono synthesizer. That uh, the idea is that the filter and the oscillator just sound so undeniably huge, and they kind of like they they double down on what makes analog synthesis so nice. Um, that I really really like both of those pieces. Um, hmm. I kind of miss having a sub 37 in this studio and you really need to get one back in here. Cause yeah, it's quick, especially if you have one of those, uh, if you have a external instrument and you save it in your Ableton browser and you have it already set up for the sub 37. I love that. You just drag it in there and boom. Yeah. It's in your set. Yeah, definitely. I need to play with that more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was speaking of like being a guitar player and modular stuff. Uh, do you know Ricky Graham? Does that name ring no. a bell at all? He's a certified no, trainer. He's really into the modular thing and he's a great guitarist as well. But he uh, told me about a guitar pickups processing. So like you can integrate your modular with your guitar and it's like a guitar pickup. You just stick on your guitar Whoa. and you run it into uh, like your modular system. And so you can have like your guitar affect your modular sounds. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's you can wild. modulate your modulators, man. Yeah. So the, uh, there's these different modules they make where you can, it's got a quarter inch input. And for those of your listeners that aren't aware, the modular world needs a lot hotter of a signal. So you have to um, not only amplify to line level, but you're going way above line level. So there's these amplifier modules that are also envelope followers. So the idea is that you're you're playing right into the modular and then it's creating voltages based on not only the signal itself, right? But also a separate signal that is listening and you can adjust the attack and release times just like you would with like the envelope follower on, on Ableton. And then you, you turn that into voltage and then that little cable now can plug into other things and it can affect other things. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of joy there um, to, to, be, to be had. <laughs> so much joy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I probably will never actually do it myself because I don't have a modular A and B, like I'm not that much of a guitar nerd. But mm -hmm. yeah, sci-fi research Psych has fi. one that he was talking about it's like cycfi they have their i think it's called new it's like nu their modular string pickup <laughs> so like you can convert it midi as well i believe you can also play midi out of it that's rad welcome to the ableton podcast where we convince you to buy all kinds of things you don't need <laughs> <laughs> exactly right that's half of my podcast right there <laughs> no regrets yeah it's uh, cool Coming back full circle to you, because this is your episode, Seed to Stage. By the way, I didn't realize I've watched a bunch of your videos before until like, I went back and revisited your channel. I was like, oh, dude, I've, I've watched this like many, many years ago. How, how long have you been doing that? You've oh, I don't know. I feel like it's been, I feel like it's been like four years or something. Um, it was originally a channel made specifically to show some friends of mine how to do things. And so I made um, some tutorial videos just for them. Right. And then they're like, you should just make this like public. And I was like, okay. So I just, you know, I just put them up there and then I was like, Oh, like this really is interesting because there's a lot more people watching this than I thought. And I put a bunch of like keywords in the videos afterward, you know, like months after I put them up and then there's a whole lot more people watching them. And then I realized I was like, there isn't even a video on showing you how to use more than one MIDI controller in Ableton on YouTube, period. And I was like, that is crazy. They, you know, <laughs> I, most people are probably making the assumption that you can only use one MIDI controller at a time. Yeah. And that's still a pretty common assumption. So that video alone, I think that's my most popular video, uh, how to use multiple MIDI controllers. I don't know, I haven't looked in a while, but um, really? I mean, we're talking over, over like half a million views. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, You've got here. like 88,000 subscribers, it's solid. It was all because, I mean, I, I was using, so so when, when things really started to take off was when Ableton, um, their content department hit me up and I immediately was like, can you get me certified? <laughs> but uh, um, they hit me up and they're like, w would you do a video on X, Y, or Z? And I was like, sure. Um, and so I made it for them and then they, I didn't know they were going to put it on their blog. And then oh, I cool. went from 2000 subscribers to like a million. Like it was, it was crazy. Like it's awesome. Um, and so then I was like, oh, this is actually a thing. And maybe this is my like ticket to, to getting people to do shit on stage again. 
yeah. so you know that was, <laughs> that was kind of the idea yeah. um and so like ever since then yeah so during when covid happened yeah we were, we were pretty much grounded the band was doing like these like uh live streams it was really fun but it was really weird like ending a song and hearing no applause and just looking at a webcam <laughs> and i was like all right i gotta do something else with my time so i i started filming these courses i was like all right this is a crazy crazy you know thing to try to do to 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 make courses in a maybe one of the most saturated areas of education on the internet you know what i mean like digital music or whatever especially yeah. with ableton but I noticed that uh, a lot of the courses out there were very focused on specific things and they weren't like, you know, complete guides to anything. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make complete guides to Ableton. Um, and so I made four courses. One of them is songwriting and composition. So it's kind of like me, you know, me revealing my process and then the process of a lot of friends of mine, because I, I cover things that I don't actually do myself um, for how to make songs. Then mixing and mastering, which is more like uh, how you can use Ableton, which a lot of people don't think of Ableton as an A to Z software, but I think of it that way because I've always done it that way. And you can do it with bands, even though the the kind of pre predominant thought is that you can't mix a band in Ableton. You definitely can. Yeah. Um, and we have you know, even our own music. I know of much bigger bands that have mixed their mixes in Ableton, but you know some of our songs have like over 10 million plays, 20 million plays. I don't know how many at this point. So you can definitely make like, you know, chart topping music with, with Ableton. Um, and then I do a sound design one, and then I do the biggest one, and the one that I'm most stoked about is the live performance course. So, you know, each one of them is 25 hours long, and I'm still, I have a Discord, which is super active, and that's, Discord has singly changed my life for the better, uh, for folks who don't use Discord, but Discord, I no longer have to be on social media. I literally just, I, you, Discord essentially takes the entire internet and, and filters it down to what you want. Um, and the people that you want to hang out with and, yeah. and less ads. Yeah. So we have, what's cool about the discord is we have a bunch of super engaged students and they're in there and some of them are doing tours now. Some of them are putting out albums and they'll put their songs on the feedback, you know, channel and everyone's giving them feedback and they're not worried about it, you know, like, and everyone's really positive. It's a positive environment. You can get people's opinions on your mixes and like, you know, you can ask questions about your live performance setup and, you know, it's it's just become this like Ableton think tank and it's really been super rewarding. So the channel's gone really well. And then this like course environment's gone, it's all gone like pretty viral. It's been, it's been sort of nuts. And so during COVID I was like, Oh, this is cool. I can totally do this. And then touring picked back up and I was like, Oh God. And then we had a, a baby boy. So. Oh snap. So you're not busy at all. Not at all. And, and also we're building, there's tractors uh, literally running under my house and you know, there's, yeah, so everything's sort of happening all at once. But, you know, I, I feel super blessed to be in this position. It's crazy, like, how many things have gone really well for our family right now. So, yeah, it's, everything's That's great. Everything's great. And uh, awesome, man. I can't complain about being able to tour again because, man, if there's one thing that I missed heavily, it was playing for people. Feels real yeah. weird playing in, in a studio to a webcam. I, I, I don't really want to. <laughs> no, I feel that. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. I remember my first show back after COVID and it was like kind of a weird experience. You go two years without like actually playing live and you're like you're saying, just playing to like the internet online on a webcam <laughs> and then playing live again. It was like makes you a lot more grateful and thankful for the opportunities that you have again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I questioned my ego. I was like, D -d -d is, is applause just something I need? Is that like something that like, 
and I, yeah. I think it's validation. You know, I mean, I think there's some there's some level of validation there when people are letting you know if you did a good job or not. You know what I mean? Like, yep. even even the lack of applause with an audience, it's it's informative. You know, instead instead of this just cold, dead, silent, like weird, like lens of a camera that you're looking at, it's just it's a very strange experience for sure. Yeah, there's a lot there. I don't know that I I feel like I've have to constantly do an ego check for myself because like you said like are you playing the shows for that applause or are you doing it for the love of doing it like that can mm-hmm. be a, a tricky balance for big some time. artists yeah, yeah i think it's good to have that evaluation of yourself actually uh do you know quincy jones oh yeah he has a book that came out not too long ago called 12 notes and he talks a little bit about that and so if anybody's looking for a new book on like the perspective and mindset of music from somebody who's like the most successful producer of our generation uh he it's a fantastic book it's a short read too but he talks about like how to create a really good song and his experiences such a good book yeah well i should probably get that one of my favorite books about a similar topic is a music lesson by victor wooten Mm. um and man man. (laughs) oh my god it's so he's he's the man and he's also a bit frustrating because he'll be like oh music theory it's super easy it's just you know and like you can tell that his mind was honed specifically to do what he does. Like that there's mm-hmm. something about the build of his body, the, the, from down to the cellular level, uh, you know, like, yeah. well, how do you slap bass Victor? Oh, like this, you know, it's like, okay, cool, man. Like, you know, but, but this book specifically, he personifies music as a being and something that was in that book that will always be with me is that if you're playing with other musicians, it's like being in a conversation. So like hmm. if someone's talking, you don't interrupt them. You hmm. you can support them though. And so supporting what they're saying is like harmony, right? Speaking when they're speaking is like not accepted generally in society. So how would it be accepted generally on stage? You know, so like it was- uh, hmm. That's good. He's, the, the book is full, chock full of things like that. These These ways of conceptualizing and framing music and the way that you look at it and the lens that you look at it through that really I think is just, plain helpful and like one of the better books i read on music i really enjoyed that one it's a music lesson by victor wooten yeah i have to check that out he's phenomenal i saw him do a workshop in indianapolis a long time ago and he's a classic example of somebody who's not only mastered his instrument but is like really inspirational and feels the music on a deeper level than most instrumentalists i've ever met or seen like you can just tell when he's playing, like he's in his own little world. He's completely lost. He's in another dimension. Love Victor. Yeah. One, one, of, one of the greats. Absolutely, man. So what's, what's next for you? I mean, you talked about you have a kid, you have the Discord thing, you're doing your seed to stage content, you're touring with Papadozio. Um, Largely, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to manage it, you know? I'm trying to keep all the the balls in the air but at the same time like i don't want that to sound as if it's like like i'm stoked i i couldn't be like more stoked on like how things are going but um we had this basement build that's kind of the biggest thing um i need to get that finished for multiple reasons because we're trying to have a family first of all we need more space um most of the basement build that we're doing is uh not the studio the studio is just one room in it but um you know it's just it's just space uh, my partner is a pretty successful painter. Um, and she, that's cool. She has a, you know, she needs a studio to, to work. And so essentially we're just trying to build, build out our lives up here. And then, um, yeah, the band is putting out an album here soon. Um, and we've been 
really trying to finish the mixes. <laughs> you know how it is. Like, I think this could be louder. That could be quieter. You know, it's endless uh, trying to figure that out. Um, so that's happening in that realm. And then with Earthcry, I'm gravitating away from composed music in general and gravitating towards a live looping setup where it's that's pretty much what I'm doing. Not because I think any other reason other than I just, I really want people to see what's possible. It'll be akin to like Beardy Man's uh, style performance, but I'm going to be using guitar as the main input as opposed to a microphone. So cool. Uh, yeah. So yeah, th- that's a pretty lofty goal. It's um, to even touch what that guy's doing is it takes, you know, years of dedication and programming and, and stuff like that. But um, I, I really want to, if I could do anything with, what I've done with what I've learned in my life, it would be to convince people that there's more to stage performance than, you know, uh, CDJs and fingers in the air, you know? So, and I don't mean that as a slight to anybody that's doing that. I, you know, I use CDJs, of course, you know, I've done thumb, thumb drive gigs, but I I find myself more fulfilled and I have more fun and there's, there's a lot more to do. And you can generally also, you have a lot more freedom to, change it up and, you know, look at the crowd and react with the crowd and like be there in the moment when you have the kind of flexibility that the technology that exists now, I'm just excited and I want people to see what's possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you'll inspire a lot of people who maybe need like the technical know-how to actually pull it off. So I think that's, that's cool. That's a great mission. I support you. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. I'm on that mission myself right now. Radical. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see one of your shows. I don't think I've even, I think I've even, I've seen you perform before. What um, what year did you play at Electric Forest? Multiple years. Probably. Oh man, back in the day, we haven't been back there. It was pre-COVID the last time we played there. I played 2016. Oh yeah, maybe maybe we were there. I I'm actually thinking you guys were also there. I'm pretty sure Papa Dizzy played that year. Yeah, yeah. I I I wouldn't have been there unless the band was there anyway. So yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, I might have been there at the same time. Yeah, cool. definitely. I mean, I'll probably not start playing shows until the end of 2023, maybe 2024, because I'm just working on new music. Oh, rad. Okay. Sampling a bunch of random weird shit, putting it <laughs> in my tracks. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trying to find that perfect that perfect Foley sample. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've been ripping a lot off of YouTube, too. Do you know what Squishmallows are? Squishmallows? No. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, it's like the softest pillow you'll ever find. It's like an occult following. Like people who, like I know people who have like dozens of them, but they're like giant pillows or they make small ones and they're like the softest, squishiest little pillow, but they all have like a name and they're all like animal themed. So they have like, sl- I have a sloth. His name's Jerry. It's like really comfy. Wow. But I have an EP that's like Squishmallow themed, but it like, it goes really hard. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll check that out for sure. I was going to ask you if they make a sound when you squish them and that you were recording that no, sound or something. That would be dope. No, I sampled. They actually have a TV show, though, that I sampled like a couple <laughs> stuff from. Uh, ripped a ripped off of that. I don't know if I can legally release it, but I'm going to anyway. And That's then, funny. yeah. And but if you hit it with a drumstick, it does make like a soft padded sound. So there I've done go. that. Some, some of those samples. Yeah, it's like the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever done, but I'm having fun doing it. So, nice. but nice, yeah, man, yeah. well, dude, I'll let you go. Uh, I know we've been hanging out for almost an hour and a half mm-hmm. and yeah, where's the best place for people to connect with you? People want to follow you online. So if they're interested in the, like learning Ableton kind of from my style of teaching it, you can go to seed to stage.com, um, youtube.com slash seed to stage. If you just want to check out 
who I am and get into my universe. Papadocio.com is for the band and then earthcry.net for my solo stuff. And we will be entering some new avenues. I think we're going to enter the Twitch space here soon. And we're going to be doing some, I know I was talking down on streaming, but we're we're going to be doing some really fun things there as as the band on Twitch, which which should be fun. And uh, yeah. yeah, new album's coming out soon. There's a lot of things coming up. Uh, but yeah, uh, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Anytime, I've been going man. back through your catalog and listening to some favorites. And uh, I don't know. Oh, thank this, you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. You're doing the the space of service. You're really feeling a void. I, I was surprised to to learn that this is one of the only podcasts dedicated to this. So it's awesome, dude. I was surprised to learn that three and a half years ago. I was like, and like I literally didn't even expect it to be a thing. It just got to the point where I was like talking in my phone. If you listen to the first five episodes, the, the sound quality is complete shit. <laughs> and uh, and then, then I was like, I wonder who I could actually get on the podcast. So I just started hitting people up, and they started saying yes. And here we are. But I appreciate you listening and and supporting. That means a lot. Yeah, so for, thank sure. You. for sure. For cool. sure. Well, thanks for hanging out, man. Um, I'll let you go. Everybody, definitely check out Anthony's stuff and Papadozio Earthcry. Uh, I'll include all the links in the show notes as always. So make sure you check those out. Give them a follow. Um, tell your friends, your mom, and we'll see you hopefully again on the podcast someday. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks, Dan. I'll definitely catch a show in the near future. Hey, big thanks to Anthony for joining the podcast. Make sure you give him a follow wherever that may be. If you want to be the first to get new episodes and content I am sending out through the newsletter, then go to liveproducersonline.com slash newsletter and you can join for free and it'll be super cool. Also, I'd love to hear what you think of the podcast and new episodes or guests that you would like to see more of. So feel free to hit me up anytime you want. My email is dan at liveproducersonline.com. Send me a message, say hey, tell me what you think of the podcast, tell me what sucks about it. And yeah, we'd love to connect with you there. Otherwise, Instagram at Ableton Podcast. You can also connect with me there as well and the podcast team. So much love. I'll see you in the next episode.